thank you for being here tonight. I'm, I'm excited about this lesson. Uh, I get excited every time I get to study the scripture a little bit like that. And on Saturday mornings, uh, on our Bible study, Saturday morning, we are going through the book of Acts. Uh, so it's been an exciting time to go, and there's a lot of uh, good discussions that come out of studying the book of Acts, a, a lot of challenges and encouragement uh, to us uh, uh, in the book of Acts. So um, when my mother-in-law uh, passed, I was asked to do her funeral. And uh, so I shared the scripture, and um, so I shared with her uh, regarding uh, Matthew chapter 13, when Jesus begins to speak on the parables, in the first parable there, the parable of the soils, that is the introduction to the parables. And the Lord there, you know, basically saying, uh, this is what you can expect during this uh, intermediate period of the kingdom. Okay. And so he gives the parable of how people are going to respond to the seed, to the word that is planted. And, um, and so as I was thinking about that, and then was reading through the book of Acts. I said, well, you know, uh, in the book of Acts 17, it seems like a good transition, because when you get to the soils, the good soil, right, is the one that responds to the word. And when we get to Acts 17, uh, in particular, Thessalonica and Berea, we see some of that good soil as the word is being sown, as the one is being uh, planted and explained, and, and we see how God is producing fruit. So we are going to be uh, looking at uh, Acts 17 a little bit uh, this evening, uh, particularly the verses uh, uh, 10 through 14, 15, but mainly focusing on the first two or three verses there in that area. But first, let's do a little bit of background, because I enjoy doing this. So if I enjoy doing then you have to listen to it. <laughs> We are going to be in Berea, right? But Paul did not start his second missionary uh, trip in Berea. He started in Jerusalem. But we're going to skip a little bit. Berea was called, uh, was in, the, in an area called Macedonia uh, that you see right there on top. Okay? There is uh, Berea, Macedonia, in Macedonia, northern Greece. It was about 40 miles from Thessalonica. Uh, you think about 40 miles, that's a, it's a long walk. It's a long walk. It's a long anything when you got to do that. <laughs> right? So it's a long walk. Uh, Cicero, many years before, had called Berea a town off the beaten track, meaning that there were no major route, no major road that was going through Berea at that time. But by the time of Paul, by the time of Nero, it had become indeed uh, a considerable uh, a town of considerable political importance. So it was better known, more popular uh, than it was uh, many years before. Now, Paul and Silas uh, visited uh, Berea on their second missionary uh, journey, which we can start reading that in Acts 15. And uh, uh, he may have visited Berea also on the third missionary journey, but it's not so stated. Okay, so because of the, of the area he describes in the missionary journey that he went also to Macedonia, so it's possible that he visited the church in Berea. And he picked up a, a, a laborer by the name of Sopater, in which in Acts 24 said that he was a Berea. So it's possible that he stopped in Berea. But the, the town itself, by name, is only mentioned in this section 
right here. Okay? Um, in Acts 17, verses 1 through 13, tracking a little bit of the, of the Paul's trip, Acts uh, 13, 16, 1 through 13, tells us that the Holy Spirit uh, prevented Paul and Silas for preaching the word in Asia. So here are Paul and Silas traveling around, right, coming from Jerusalem and all this. So then they say, hey, you know, let's go to Asia. It's a big place. Let's go preach the gospel there. And the Holy Spirit says, no, Paul, not, not there. So the Holy Spirit prevented him from going there. So they, Paul said, hey, let's, let's turn to this other area, to Messenia. I said, going through Messenia. I said, hey, I'm going to go to Bithynia. You know, that's, a, that's like a good place to go. And guess what happens? The Holy Spirit says, no, Paul, you're not going there either. <laughs> and so, you know, Paul doesn't sit around waiting for direction. He said, okay, we're going to keep on moving. We are, we are going to go someplace. So he keeps on going until he gets to Troas. And in Troas, he has a vision. Uh, and in this vision, a man from Macedonia is pleading with Paul and Silas, hey, come and help us. Come and help us. So I'm pretty sure, you know, you guys know that Paul was a tent maker. So I'm pretty sure that this guy was not saying, Paul, we want to know how to make tents. Can you come and help us? I don't think that that was in the mind of this man. <laughs> so what was this man wanting help with? Well, he wanted help with the scriptures. He wanted help to how to understand the word of God. He wanted help on explaining the gospel. So God worked it out uh, that he gave Paul this vision of this man to say, you need to go to Macedonia. And at that time, Paul had no doubt where he needed to go. He needed to go to the area of Macedonia because there were people there who needed to hear the gospel. And he goes through Macedonia. He gets to this Philippi. And uh, the first uh, convert, European convert, uh, happens to occur there in, in Philippi. And you probably remember the name. It's a lady, Lydia. Okay. And then uh, in Philippi, uh, Paul and... Uh, there are some trouble in Philippi. So eventually Paul and Silas end up in jail. Then God releases them from jail. The jailer thinks that they escape and he's going to kill himself. And Paul says, do not do that. And so the jailer ends up being saved, him and his whole family. He becomes uh, a believer. Living in Philippi, Paul goes to uh, Thessalonica, right there, and spends some time there. And he has a, has a number of converts there in, in, in uh, Thessalonica. In um, uh, chapter 17, talks about the some Jews, 17.4. If you look at the verse, and, uh, and some of them were persuaded and... Uh, in verse 2, first, then Paul, because we are going to touch on this, then Paul, as his custom was, went into, uh, into them and for three Sabbaths reasoned, uh, reasoned with them from the scripture. And when he, said, when he says, and went into them, refers to the synagogues that are mentioned in chapter 1 and verse 1. So Paul goes into the synagogue, he preaches the gospel there for three Sabbaths, and there is fruit. He teaches the people, and in verse 4 says, And some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of the devout Greek, and not a few of the leading women joined Paulus, Paul and Silas. So there is fruit, there is good fruit here in Thessalonica. 
And, uh, uh, but then, of course, you know, trouble follows Paul, <laughs> right? And uh, he's run out of Thessalonica, okay? And he's going to end up, 40 miles later, he's going to end up in uh, Berea. And those trouble also uh, follow them to Berea, but we'll, we will not get into that. So let's read now together verses 10 through 15 in Acts 17, and we see what we have there. Then uh, the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more fair-minded, or noble-minded, some translation, than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed, and also not a few of the Greeks, prominent women as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was preached by Paul of Berea, they came there and also stirred up the crowds. Isn't that something? Uh, then immediately the brethren sent Paul and Silas to go to the sea, but both Silas and Timothy remained there. So those who con uh, conducted Paul brought him to Athens and receiving a command for Silas and Timothy uh, to come to him with all speed, they departed. So we see a little bit what happens to uh, the Thessalonica. Okay. So Paul goes into Berea, and what is his first stop? What is Paul's custom for the first stop to be? Always, consistently. If there is one, he's going to go there. And that is the synagogues. Right? He's going to go to, to the synagogues. You know, when we're reading, and I'm reading a full year reference, uh, Damascus, Antioch, Iconium, Thessalonica, Berea, Athens, Corinth, Ephesus. If there was a synagogue in Paul's route, you know what he's going to do? He's going to go there. He's going to teach the scriptures. He's going to preach the word. He's going to preach Christ. Now, he learned that, I think, from somebody else, because it was also the custom of the Lord Jesus Christ <laughs> to do that. In particular, the synagogue at Capernaum. The Lord Jesus spent a lot of time teaching in Capernaum. The word synagogue uh, really means gathering of people. And there's a little bit of discussion when these things came to being. It seems that uh, the evidence points to the intertestamental period during those 400, what we call the 400 silent years. Okay? And there is discussion as to how and what the synagogues, how they function. Uh, some say, well, you know, they, used to, they need to be 10 Jewish men to have a synagogue. Others say, no, that's not necessarily. Uh, uh, some say, well, the women were not permitted to come into the synagogue. But here we see that some were there, and they were believers, right? Uh, it seems that in today's culture, when the Jewish synagogues, the women and the men seem to be separated. But some historians say that that was not the case during the time of Paul. So there's a little bit of uh, back and forth uh, discussion on that. Nevertheless, we know that Paul did go to the synagogue. That was uh, Paul first stop. Um, Paul as Saul, Paul as Saul, so before he was converted, had been a zealous Pharisee who with, favor, uh, with fervor persecuted those who professed Christ. He will take them to the synagogues 
and force them to blaspheme the name of the Lord, or he will punish them. Some perhaps even been put to death. And when, accounting, and when recounting his testimony in Acts 22, Paul said this, he said, So I say, Lord, he's praying, he's talking to the Lord. Lord, uh, they know that in every synagogue I imprison and beat those who believe in you. So I saw Paul was also visiting the synagogues. And what was he doing? He was persecuting those who believe in Christ. As a believer, Paul went to the synagogues. And what was he doing? He was making the case for Christ. I think that he should have wrote the book. So, so we have Saul fighting against Christ, going, then going back to the same place that he was persecuting believers, and now he's making the case for Christ. What a changed life. What a changed life. What kind of work God can do, right? God does. So that's what he does uh, to Paul. So Paul goes from synagogue to synagogue, making the case for Christ. So then we ask, or I ask myself, well, how did he do that? How did Paul go about making the case for Christ? And uh, what he did, he did it from the scriptures. We see that in Acts 17, 2, 17, 17, 18, 4, 18, 19, 24, 25. He reasoned from the scriptures. He reasoned from the scripture. He gave a thoughtful exposition. He explained, he made a case for the scripture, for the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. He was a thought, his was a thought out and planned approach. A good exegetical presentation of the evidence for the Lord Jesus Christ. He took him to the word. I said, you know, let's, let's, you got the book, so let's go to the book. <laughs> let's go and look at the word. And also says that he was proven uh, in Acts 9.22, or after, after he became a believer, it says, but Paul, but Saul, in this case, increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in, Jama in Damascus, proving that Jesus is the Christ. So he has something particular in mind that he was doing. The man who he was persecuting now is the man that he's making a case for. And he has to prove, has to reason that Jesus was the Christ. Um, so he was uh, showing, proving means to say to, uh, showing for certain. He was making the case, putting things together. He was tying the Old Testament scriptures together for them. He was tying things up for his audience. And it says that the audience was confounded. They were puzzled. They were perplexed. Some of them were agitated. They never heard this before. And Paul is putting all things together. And the word they are confounded is the same word that we find in the book of Acts. When the, when the, when the after Acts 2, uh, in Pentecost, when the audience, the public, the people are hearing the messages, the apostles speaking on their own language. I said they were confused. They were confounded. What's going on here? They didn't know what was going on. You know, Paul is taking them for a ride. He's getting in the scripture and he's giving them a seminary education for a few Sabbaths, for a few days. You know, so he's, they are learning. Uh, they have never been exposed 
to a reasonable explanation of the scriptures. So they are now uh, confounded. They now say, what is Paul teaching us? Um, so Paul's preaching was indeed a reason and cohesive. It caused the listeners to be caught off guard. They were not expecting what he was saying. And in some cases, as I say, they were disturbed. And let me make this, this note regarding Christianity, regarding faith in Christ. Faith in Christ, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, our trust Christianity, is a historical faith. It's based on true events in real places with real people. Okay? So there is evidence. It's a, it's, a, it's a historical base. It's not like Peter said, you know, this, this, we didn't base our faith in, in, in these tales, right? There is, it's based on history. It's a historical faith. It's also a prophetic faith. It's a faith that we, no other seems that no other religion has the, the number of prophecies, the type of prophecy, and the fulfillment of prophecies that Scripture has. What a great way to validate or to negate a case, right? And so this, uh, the Scripture said, you know, if we find one prophecy that was not fulfilled correctly, then the Scripture could be saying, you know, there's some problems here. But that's never been the case. That's never been the case, right? And also it's historical, it's prophetical, but what we're learning now that it's also reasonable. It makes sense. When taken in con all together, it makes sense, right? It's coherent. It's rational. It makes sense when considered as a whole. It's consistent with itself. Right? What a great faith. What a great faith. And this is what Paul is doing, right? Peter encouraged his readers when he writes in 1 Peter 3.15, says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, he goes on to say, always be ready to give a defense. Always be ready to have a reason response. Think about it. Put it together. Have a plan to give a reason response. Yeah. Uh, to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that you have in you with meekness and fear. Right? So he said, have a, have a plan. Have a reason response of how we're going to defend our faith. How we're going to approach the presentation of the gospel. Uh, Paul echoed that, that attitude of uh, meekness and fear when he told Timothy, as a servant of the Lord, must not, be, uh, must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient and humility, correcting those who are in opposition. And that was part, part of what Paul was doing. There was these people who were not certain about the word, and Paul is going there and having to, to correct. He's having to clarify. He's having to put things together for them. Okay. So when they have these issues, they, these misunderstandings, right? What was Paul's sort of source of authority for correcting the people? Well, he tells us that it was the scriptures. Uh, Paul was a former Pharisee. So he was very familiar with the scripture. For many years, he had been instructed in the Hebrew scriptures. He has spent years studying them. Uh, yet, you know, he was one of those people, too, who could not put things together. Until the Lord Jesus Christ, I was going to say, turn the light on. But he first turned the light off. <laughs> and then turned the light on. <laughs> and Paul said, oh, Lord, who are you? Right? So everything made sense to him. The Lord gave him some understanding there. And as he will say, but 
to put things together. But it was a time that he could not put together. But now he's appealing to the scriptures. He could appeal to his apostolic authority. I says, you know, I'm an apostle. You need to trust me because I'm an apostle. If you have any doubts, go ask any of the other apostles. You know, they'll tell you about me. He could have done that, but he didn't. Uh, he could have spent, uh, he could have uh, appeal or perform signs and miracles. As you know, uh, let, me, let me show you. Bring a sick person here and I'll show you who I am. He could have done that. He said, you know, rise up and walk. Do you believe me now? <laughs> but he didn't do that, okay? What, uh, he could have done a number of things, but Paul's apologetic strategy was to go back to the scriptures, to go back to the Hebrew scriptures in this case. Um, it is true you know, that the Bereans had a high view of scriptures. How do we know that the Bereans had a high view of scriptures? They were in, in the scriptures, right? They knew the scriptures. They were studying the scriptures. They couldn't put it together. Uh, and, but somehow they lacked understanding. They lacked clarification. Sometimes we run into people like that, right? They have a, they have a semi-understanding of scriptures, and then we, we either have to start from point one, or we can jump in and, and clarify certain things when it comes to the gospel. Um, well, the next question is, if Paul is, was going to the scriptures, I asked myself, I was, well, what scriptures would Paul go to? Now, he's going to the scripture. What scripture is Paul going to to make the case that Jesus is the Messiah and that he must suffer? Where will he go? And uh, so we're going to look at a little bit that. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul said that the gospel was according to the scriptures, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Um, In Acts 9, 22, Paul said, Proving that this Jesus was the Christ. So he has to prove that, and he has to prove it from the scriptures. In Acts 17, 3, says he was demonstrating uh, from the scripture that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead. So Paul, you know, hey, Paul going to the scripture, and sometimes I wonder, you know, I say, it would have been nice if Paul would have said, you know, okay, here is the list of scriptures that I went through when I shared the gospel with these people, when I made the case for Christ. Well, he didn't do that, but we do have the complete Bible. We do have the complete Old Testament. Now, there is a man by the name of J. Bar- J. Barton Payne. Uh, he was a conservative scholar. Uh, he was involved in some translations of the Bible at the New American Standard. And Mr. Uh, J. Barton Payne, uh, he pointed out that there were 574 Old Testament verses that pointed out to Christ, 574 Alfred Edershein, some of you know him, his name is the man who wrote The the Life and Time of Jesus the Messiah. He was a little bit more conservative. He stated that there were 500, I'm sorry, 456 scriptures that pointed out to Christ. Um, And then a more conservative number that I use today is the number uh, just over 300. People say there's normally about 300 scriptures that uh, speak of Christ in the Old Testament. So let's go ahead and take a look at those. No, not really. (laughs) 
Not really, but I'm going to put a couple of slides for a few, right, of them, right? So can you see that? Yeah, okay. So some of the scriptures that Paul would have gone, would have used to make the case that Jesus is the Christ, that he had to die, and he will resurrect. You know, that the Messiah was born in Bethlehem, and that he was the Messiah. That the Messiah is to be preceded by a messenger. That the Messiah is to be sold for 30 pieces of silver. That the Messiah um, is to be born of a virgin. Is that my, yeah, I got to change slide. Okay. That the Messiah is to be, exec- uh, no, uh, that the Messiah is to be silent before his accusers. That the Messiah is to be executed by crucifixion by having his hand and feet pierced. Uh, that Messiah is to be given, was to be given uh, vinegar to quench his thirst. That the Messiah was to be executed without having a bone broken. That the Messiah was to be buried with the rich. Uh, that the Messiah was to rise again after death. And the last one that I put there, that the Messiah was to be executed by crucifixion as a, as a thief. So these are some of the scriptures, perhaps, that, that Paul would have gone and said, you know, I'm going to point to you that this man, Christ Jesus, whom you crucified, who died on the cross for our sins, is indeed the Messiah. And I want to make the case for Christ from the scriptures. So that's what Paul did for them. Now, what was Paul's purpose, purpose in explaining the scripture? Why was Paul doing this? Well, Paul was doing this because he wanted those people to understand the word, to understand Christ, so that they could be saved. And we see that purpose from 2 Timothy 3.15, right? Paul tells Timothy, and from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Uh, so the, the Old Testament, the Scripture, make you wise for salvation. In Romans 10.17, so faith comes from hearing, and hearing from the Word of God. Uh, Jesus, when deal, uh, no, uh, not Jesus, uh, John, when they wrote his gospel, the last chapter in, in the Gospel of John, he says, But this is written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, uh, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So, why is Paul making the case from the scriptures? So that people may believe, so that people may turn the life over to Christ. And um, in 1 Corinthians 1, Paul wrote, For since the wisdom, for since in the wisdom of the world, God through wisdom, the, the, the world through wisdom did not know God. He pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. So the whole purpose of God, was, of Paul doing this, is so that people could be saved. People could be saved. So now we get to the Berean challenge. I call the, this the, the Berean challenge because Paul goes to Berea. And these people, are, I, I like the Bereans. I, I like the Bereans, what they did. It's good for us. It's a good challenge for us. Okay? So uh, the first thing that I, I noted about the, the Bereans, when they get there, in verse 11, Paul says that they were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, that they were um, far, fair-minded. So in the Greek there is Eugenes. Uh, they, they, it's a comparative term. So it's comparing the diligence of the Thessalonians with the diligence of the Bereans. So it's not saying anything bad about the people in Thessalonica. It's just saying something a little nicer about the people in Berea. <laughs> okay? Um, so, it, it, again, it's not a put down. Uh, he, we'll see he will compliment the, the, uh, uh, the Thessalonians too. So they were more, the, uh, let's say, fair-minded, less prejudiced, 
uh, they gave a, a fair hearing to the word. They were not predisposed. Uh, they didn't have predisposed bias toward the word. They didn't say, no, we don't want to hear it. Uh, sometimes when we share with people, we cannot get to first base because they, you know, we don't want to hear it. Right? Uh, we talked about on Wednesday about the seed that it falls on the, on the hardened soil, on the path, on the wayside. Right? There's people that want anything to do with the word. The word never has a chance. The Bereans were the other way. You know, they, they were interested in the word. They wanted to know, but they wanted to know uh, correctly, so they were uh, fair-minded. Right? Um, and Jesus in John 5, talking to the, uh, the Pharisees after he made some, these some miracles, uh, said to them uh, that they said, he's presenting his messianic credential, right? And he goes on to present his messianic credential by the testimony of John the Baptist, the testimony of his words, the testimony of the Father, and then he goes to the testimony of scriptures. And he says to them, you search the scriptures. You are diligent to search in the scriptures. For in them you think that you have eternal life. Well, they got some right. You know, if you search the scripture, you're going to have come to the way of eternal life. But then the Lord Jesus says, and these are which testify on me. You search, but you miss the point. You are not putting it together. Okay. So Paul, Paul does here with the Bereans. He comes and puts it together for them. So here is the scripture. You know, you are noble-minded. You have the right attitude, the right approach toward the scripture. These who are diligent in searching the scripture, uh, the, uh, but uh, they need explanation. Uh, first period, well, let me skip that. So the second, uh, you know, sometimes you look at the time and say, oh, boy. <laughs> you can relate to that, can't you? <laughs> so the second uh, aspect of the challenge of the Berean is uh, uh, their zeal. Uh, they received the word with all readiness. They were excited about the word coming to them. Uh, they, they showed hospitality to the word. The word was welcome. The soil was ready. Re they received, the, the verb they received is in the middle voice. And what that does is, is it stresses their eagerness. They receive it to themselves. They really were anticipating this. They probably heard about Paul, and they were looking forward to listen to him and to get an explanation of the word. They couldn't put it together, but they had a, a, a mind, a seal, a readiness. They were all in. They were committed to learn. They were not wishy-washy or lukewarm toward the word. They wanted to hear. They wanted to learn. They were 100% intentional toward the word. They wanted to receive it with all, with great readiness and eagerness. There was an anticipation that they had. They were excited about it. They wanted to learn how to be saved. They wanted to hear the word, right? So there is that eagerness. Paul also complimented the Thessalonians. He said to them, for this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you receive the word of truth, the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcome it. Not as the word of man, but as it is true, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. So the Thessalonians also received the word with anticipation. With the, they welcomed the word. The Bereans, you know, they were a, a notch or two more excited or more diligent in that. They said, hey, you know, Paul, we, we are going to check you out. Okay? So they received the words. They, they received the gospel. And they were diligent. And they were diligent. They had a zeal. 
in that. Um, the third point about the, uh, the Bereans is that they, they, they were diligent. They, they were diligent, they had a seal, but they were also diligent in that they did not just accept any wind of doctrine, any wind of doctrine that was coming their way. They were diligent that what they were going to do was they were going to check the scripture. You know, we have a president, well, we had a president a few years ago who coined up a very uh, popular phrase. He said, trust, but verify. You know, that were not the Bereans. The Bereans said, verify, and then trust, <laughs> right? Show me, you know, let me know, show me. I want to know. I, I want to see this from the scripture. So they were very diligent. They were critical thinkers. They were discerning. They were students of the word. They just couldn't put it together yet. So they needed somebody to explain to them. Their eagerness and anticipation and the coming of Paul to explain to them the word. Um, yeah, they, they, were, they were diligent people. They wanted to study the word and to verify with the scriptures. Um, you know, you would think uh, this is Paul, the great apostle Paul. He was, was a non-Pharisee uh, with the apostles, going through all that area, preaching the gospel. And uh, so he comes to Berea, and the Bereans are excited, and they say, hey, Paul, you know, uh, we are glad you're here. Tell us about it. We're going to catch you slack. You don't have to show us anything. We don't need any, any proof. That's not what they did. That's not what they did. They said, Paul, show us. We want to see. We want to see. It says that they searched the scripture, right? It wasn't their DNA to be thorough, to be inquisitive, to be detailed, to be systematic. They wanted to learn the scriptures. And they were their search indicates that it was a careful examination. And the word is used of uh, sifting uh, evidence last in a trial. Cross-examining, it carries the sense of, of a judicial inquiry. They were getting deep into this. Right? They wanted firm, clear evidence that they were going to get the truth. That they were going to get the truth. Um, that word for uh, searching was used also of when Jesus was examined by Pilate. And Peter used it in reference to himself and John being examined by the religious leaders in Acts 4. So they, these people are digging. They are getting in it. It's not just a casual, superficial reading of the scripture. They're getting in it. They want to know. They're trying to make a case. Uh, they, they want to be saved, and they want Paul to make a, a solid case uh, so that they can believe. You know, they're not just going to accept anything, right? Um, and how, do they, how often do they do that? Daily, right? daily, daily, daily. They were getting together. Yeah. And I'm not sure uh, how long Paul was in Berea, but every day that was there, Paul was being challenged. <laughs> he was saying, you know, you got to make the case. You got to make the case. And Paul said, I'm so glad. Yeah, I'll be glad to make a case for Christ. So he probably took him through those 456 references. <laughs> right? Yeah, he said, I'm going to show you from the scripture. Okay. They did not put their guard down. You know, they wanted sound doctrine. They did not put their guard down. And what they decided is that they, uh, they would put the word 
over Paul. See, the word validated Paul, and not Paul, the word. The power, the authority was in, in the word. Um, so that's commendable, what they were doing. But it's also commendable, in a way, what Paul was doing. Because he was, you know, he was being challenged daily. And did Paul complain? Now, we don't hear about anything about Paul being negative to that, right? So they're having every day, they're having Bible studies, and, and they're asking Paul questions. How about this? How about that? And Paul said, well, let me show you. Let me show you. Let me show you. Take him through the scripture. So it's commendable that Paul will take the time uh, to do that. So we see the, the, the seal. We see the diligence of the Bereans in getting into the scriptures. We see the diligence of Paul explaining the scriptures. And what happened after that? Well, we are told what happened after that. And we saw that in verse 12, right? Uh, let me read verse 11. These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. So they want evidence. They want to know. Let me go to the scripture. And then in verse 12, it tells us the result of this presentation of this explanation, of this exegesis. Said, but when, uh, therefore, many of them believed. Okay, it clicked. They saw it. The Lord opened their eyes. Paul made the case for Christ. And many of them believed. And also, and not a few Greeks, and prominent women, as well as men, we read that also about the church in Thessalonica. So the word works. The word works. It has to be well explained. It has to be upheld. Right? Well, I praise the Lord for that. You know, we get fed every week, week in and week out. Systematic teaching of the word. Solid teaching of the word. Yeah? Let me have it. The word works. Yeah? It's put together for us. That's what Paul was doing for them, was putting it together for us. Okay, uh, let me close with some takeaways uh, from what we have seen uh, from the Berean diligence and from Paul's diligence. What are some of the things that I can take away for me that can challenge and encourage me? Well, from Paul, I can say, you know, one of the things I can take away from Paul is that I need to be gospel ready. I need to be gospel ready. I need to know the gospel. I need to be prepared. And I need to know to be gospel ready. I need to be able to make a presentation of the gospel. I, need to, I don't have to know the whole Bible. But at least I need to know something. I need to have something committed to memory or whatever to where I can go. and say, well, let me show you. So I need to be in gospel ready. That's a challenge uh, for me. I, as I say, I need to be prepared. And, and I need to be... <laughs> <laughs> willing to spend time with people clarifying and answering questions. Why have you been doing that for a long time with an individual? Right? I just spend some time with another individual. He's not a believer yet. But, you know, we invest. We don't say, you know, I've been sitting with you now for two years and, uh, man, nothing is happening here. Well, maybe, uh, yeah, we need to be able to spend time too with people. Sharing the gospel. Don't give up right away. <laughs> Don't give up right away. The word works. Okay. So that's what we get from Paul. Well, at least what I got from Paul. To be gospel ready. To be well prepared to share the gospel at any place, any time. And to be willing to spend time with people 
sharing the gospel. It may take more than a meeting or two. From the Bereans, uh, my takeaway, my challenge from the Berean is to be excited about the Word of God, to want to be in the Word of God, to decide to learn, see how it fits together. Um, you know, I'm reading now, and, I, and you think, you know, I've read the Bible through so many times, and, and I still there's a lot that I don't know. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that that was there. Oh, this is an interesting point, right? So spend, you know, time in the Word. Be excited about the Word. Uh, Peter said that we ought to desire the pure milk of the world like a, a babies do. Excited about coming to the Word. Right? Also, to be diligent in the Word. Okay? What does that mean? Like the Bereans, they were diligent. They studied it. They, they got in it. They were digging it. They searched it. But also, they examined by it. So they used the Word as the authority to examine things. We have so many different things going on in our world when it comes to religious thing and religious idea, and, and it seems that somebody always comes up with a new way of looking at things. You know, let's go back to the scripture. The scripture is the authority. So be diligent, be excited about it, to be in it, and be diligent uh, to study. Uh, be diligent to present yourself, right? Rightly divided, the word of God. And the last uh, item that I want to note is uh, a verse there on, on based on uh, verse 12. Be responsive. Be responsive. Go where the word takes us. Okay. Move with the word. If I study the word, somebody's teaching me something, and I say, you know what? I see this. I need to make adjustments. <laughs> Make the adjustments. For some people, the adjustment is to come to faith in Christ. For others, so that's an adjustment of salvation, right? For others, maybe an adjustment of sanctification. You know, I need to change something in my life. But I need to go where the Word takes me. Sometimes it's hard, but I need to do that. Okay, so that's all I have. So I hope that you are challenged by the Word, right? that we are excited about the word, that we are diligent in the word, and that we are able to make uh, the correct response toward the word.